We're so glad that you joined us today for this podcast from Bishop Quentin Moore and the Father's House in Hutchinson, Kansas. God loves you and wants the best for you, and we want to hear what God is doing in your life. Share your story with us by sending an email to mystory@fathershouse.net. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at fathershouse.net slash give. Just select the option that works for you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. I have been using a verse out of Ephesians 3 and 20 uh, the last few weeks to kind of set the stage for what I believe is going on in our lives right now. And it's that verse that Paul writes in Ephesians 3.20 where he says, Not to him who is able by his action and by the power that is at work in us. How many know there's a power at work in our lives? You do realize there's something on the inside of you that's working in you that... See, I think we fail to realize that there's something else on the inside of us doing something. That so many times we're, we just are in, unappreciative, if you will, of this other one that lives in us. And Paul goes on to write that he might do above and beyond all that we could ask, think, or imagine. That there's one on the inside of us. That there's a power that's in us that is accomplishing in and through us things that we would not ever have thought possible. I believe we're living in that kind of time. And yet I think as we do that, we need to need to learn how to participate with it and, and understand it and, and begin to somehow create an atmosphere where that potential and that power in our lives comes through us. And one of the things throughout my life that I've realized is such a myth. And every once in a while I'll hear someone say, well, I'm just a lay person. You ever heard that? I, I'm just a member of the church. I'm just a, every time I hear that, I just want to, well, I won't tell you what I want to do, but, 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 and or I'll hear I'll hear a housewife go, well, I'm just a I'm just a housewife, or I'm I'm just a mom, or I'm sometimes guys do well, I'm just a. In other words, they they self-deprecate themselves by just. Listen, I believe the world's going to be changed by lay people. But you didn't hear me. I don't think preachers change anything. I, I'm kind of tired of this idea that there are professional Christians and then there's not-so-professional Christians. Oh, you're not listening to me. I think God always uses people that go, Who, you, you, you want me to go talk to Pharaoh? Who am I? And God takes this murdering Moses from the backside of a desert and goes, leads out the people. Yeah. I'm just a boy. You want me to be a prophet? I mean, Jeremiah goes, I, I, who, who am I? to uh, Touch your neighbor and say, yeah, you. <laughs> I think that uh, particularly American Christianity, particularly the last 500 years of Reformed theology, has somehow elevated professional Christians. And, and, and if there's anything I would like to bang at, it, it is that whole idea that I'm just. And I would suggest to you that the people sitting in this room are the people that are going to change the world. I, I would just suggest to you that it's the, the Peter and the Pauls and the Marys and the Elizabeths and it's the, the Moseses, that all of them were just lay people. All of them were just people that weren't socially sanctioned. They weren't professionally certified. Uh, they, they were just you. 
And that as you walk in and out of here every week or you do whatever uh, that, that brings you into a religious setting, could I suggest to you that you're the secret weapon? That, that you are the ones that's really going to affect your generation. And that to discredit that uh, or to even insinuate that that should be discredited really, really is just we need to stop it. And that little verse in Acts chapter 24, verse 14, where Paul says, I live according to the way. Uh, only one time in the scriptures are we referred to as Christians, only once. But six times the scriptures refer to the people of God as people who live the way. Say with me, the way. The way. I, I want you to understand that it's not our doctrine, our denominations, or our pet essentials that will change the world. It's the way we live. When we live a certain way, the world will pay attention. When we live a certain way, it will change the cities in which we live. If you go over to Acts chapter 17, it says, These people have come to our city, and they have turned the world upside down. I, I just want you to know, God will take a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, and women, and turn the world upside down, while the professionally, socially accepted people will do nothing. I want you to know that today in our world and in our culture, what is not needed is more professionals with great big solutions. What's needed today are people that are living the way Jesus has called us to live. And that if we live the way Jesus called us to live, we can change the world probably sooner than we think. And most of the time in a theology that is looking forward to a rapture and to the great escape, we fail to value the way we live. And, and when we are trying to escape, then what use is it for us to live a certain way? Well, listen, we need to be living a certain way because I suggest to you that the culture in which we're living in is going to outlast you. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but the world you're living in, your children are going to inherit and probably your grandchildren. And, and so maybe we ought to take a responsibility for the way we live and understand that it's not who you think it is that's going to change the world, but it's probably us as we live in this world, and we do it in such a manner that alters the community around us. Our faith, historically, is lived by people who responded to a voice and said, come with me. Abraham was looking up at the stars, and the Lord said, let's go. Let's go. Uh, the, the, the whole history of the Old Testament is filled, if you looked at Genesis chapter 12, about how he departed, how he journeyed through here, how he came forth from there. And he went out into this wilderness, into this world, into this unknown place, and he lived in such a relationship. Uh, literally, he had the first GPS. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, GPS has saved my marriage. How about you? Okay, you didn't get it. I mean, come on. I mean, GPS, do you know where you're going? No, I hadn't got a clue, but the box does. I mean, you know, we pay the box, and the box, and it's interesting to me, when you leave your house, it says, go to the end of the driveway and turn left, and you go to the end of the driveway, turn left, and then you talk about supper, and you talk about, the, you, talk, you solve the world's problems, and then in a few minutes, it says, now then, turn right, and in seven miles, you're going to go left, and in 10 miles, you're going to turn, and you trust your destination to some mechanical thing called Apple. Literally, you get up and drive across the world 
because the phone is giving you directions. You ain't got a clue whether the phone's right or not, but you're just listening to the phone, and it's telling you where to go. Did you know that that is a perfect metaphor of the faith of Abraham? He got up, and he went. And he waited for someone to tell him to stop. He waited for someone to tell him to go this way. He waited, build an altar here, build an altar there. Go here, go there. Our faith is a story of journey. Our faith is a story of trusting in something other than ourselves to tell us when to go left and when to go right. Our faith is not a formula that we are handed. Our faith is not a doctrine that we are given. Our faith is a relationship that is unique to us. It's unique to you because no one knows your journey and your story except the one that's got you on it. And that our faith is a way of living in trust to the one that's on the inside. That's what makes each one of you unique. That's what makes every one of you so special. Is that each one of you are living out and showing forth this great relationship of trust. So the father of our faith, Abraham, kept going and listening and moving. How many of you know who Abraham is? Listen, everything I've ever learned, I learned from Mrs. Shepherd in Severy, Kansas, in the basement of the Nazarene church as she would throw figures on the flannel board. Thank God for Mrs. Shepherd. Now, i got to tell you, I loved the God of the basement. The God of the basement was filled with these great stories and love and mercy, and then I would go upstairs and Pastor Shepherd would preach about holy living in hell. And there was a conflict between the God of the basement and the God of the second floor. There was this huge conflict. I would go running back to the basement, but I didn't want anything. Never mind. See, stories, stories rule your world. Stories. And the story of Abraham, who lived in constant communication, the holy GPS, he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know everything that was going to happen to him. Touch your neighbor and say, stop worrying about it. Get over it. It, 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 it. Trust the power that's working in you to take you above and beyond anything. Come on, listen to the, That's faith. That's faith. And, and on this journey, if you know this story, there came a moment after 70, 80 years, that God says, now that son that promised, Isaac, that one you've been waiting on that's now, you know, I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. That sounds ludicrous to me. Right? Doesn't it sound ludicrous to you to take this promised child, this thing that's most valuable to you, and offer to... Doesn't that sound nuts? It doesn't sound nuts if you've spent 80 years trusting the voice. It doesn't sound nuts in the context of a life that's been following for centuries. See, most people are trying to understand this big event here when the truth of the matter is God's been molding and shaping you to do above and beyond anything you can ask or imagine. As you learn to trust that voice, then God can speak some really amazing things. Are you here? Journey. Moses, right? Moses steps out and takes three million people with him on a journey in the wilderness. And, 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 and they, they do great and mighty things. I, I actually am envious 
of those people? Because they had a cloud. Oh, for a cloud. How many of you just like to have a cloud to follow? I mean, a fire. I mean, wouldn't you rather have got up this morning and went, there it goes, I'm going to follow that, right? (laughs) But instead, I'm telling you to follow a voice. Instead, you come to church and we say, just let the Spirit lead you. Spirit, give me a cloud. I'd like something a little more tangible. Why did you make it easy for Moses and difficult for me? I mean, (laughs) the point of all of this is that Our faith is based on following, on a journey. And that you don't get a predetermined package of this is where we're going on vacation. But rather you're called to live in a way that reveals a relationship. That you're called to live in a way that the world goes, look at at that. Look at that. Those people are trusting. Those people are listening. Those people are living in a way. It's the way you live, not your doctrine that's going to change the world. It's the way you live in response to that relationship. It's, it's that, that personal, intimate trust. It's beyond explanation. It's a passion. If there's anything people notice about me, it's this passion. Listen, I am so excited about what God might say this afternoon. I am. Listen, I ain't got time to focus on the circumstances. The circumstances, pardon me, they suck. Come on, how many are living in a circumstance, in a wilderness that you'd really wished would change? I've got a few in my life. They just really aren't too... But can I tell you, he's not moved by my circumstances. He knows which way to turn in a minute. And I don't know how this is going to turn, but I know it's going to turn out for my victory. So I don't need to be worrying about... I'm not asking God to change these things. I'm just waiting on a word. Are you? Are you? Why couldn't we live in such a way that we weren't putting pressure on people to fix our problems? You hear me. We have sold out to the culture. We have sold out to a culture that thinks they can fix the problems themselves. There is no solution to the world's problems outside of God. There is none. We're in a wilderness. We're in a crazy world. But we're engaged in this relationship and we're following it. And to live as a follower of Christ is to live in the rhythms of his grace, to live in the rhythms of his voice, to to trust that God is directing and moving. But one of the greatest stories, I think, of the Old Testament as to how to live in times that are a bit weird. How do you live in a time that they don't seem to know up from down? They can't seem to solve anything, right? But but how do you live in that time? Well, there's these three boys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and Daniel. These four Hebrew boys that are taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, they're brought into this captivity and, and, and literally... They become prisoners of war. And yet, these four boys become the leaders of the people that have captivated them. How do you live in the midst of a culture that is actually opposed to you? How how many of you know the culture around you is opposed to you? It's it's trying to stop you from having any fun. It's trying to rob you uh, of of life. It's trying to do that. But these boys, the, the Bible says in Hebrews that they shut up the mouths of lions. 
It says that they obtained good reports and that they quenched the fires. And, and these, these three boys were able to live in the midst of a wilderness of captivity, and yet they capture the imagination, if you will, of those of us that read these stories. I, I want to suggest to you that these three boys give us three little things about how we might live today in such a way that draws attention to Christ and changes the culture around us. Number one, they refuse to be named by the culture that they were planted in. Can I tell you, we're allowing the culture to name us dysfunctional. We're allowing the culture to name us losers. We're allowing the culture to name us Republicans and Democrats. and we're, we're allowing the culture to call us Methodists and Baptists. We're allowing the culture to call us this and call us that. And can I tell you that we are none of that? That we are children of the Most High God? That we are not Shadrachs, Meshach, and Abednego's, but we are Hananiah's, Mishael's, and Azariah's. We are the children of the Most High God. No matter where you put us, we know who we are. In a world that can't find themselves, we're supposed to be people who know who we are. We're supposed to know in whom we believe. We're not supposed to be shaken by the confusion of a culture that can't figure it out. Listen, all we need to do is be the church who is sure that we are saved by grace and not by works. The church is not helping this story because the church keeps adding on caveats of what it means to be a Christian. Let me tell you, the truth about being a Christian is he died rose again, and if you believe that, you are a child of God. I am tired of 2,000 years of complication. We have Christians that are living wholly insecure because the church keeps banging at that insecurity. Touch your neighbor and say, my name is Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. The only way you're going to be able to live in a world that's gone crazy is to know that you belong to Jesus. I'm accepted. I'm adopted. I'm grafted in. And you can't kick me out. Touch your neighbor and say, I know who I am. I don't get up this morning and wonder if I'm saved. I get up this morning and wonder why I was so stupid yesterday. But I don't get up this morning. You did. I really do. I, I turn around and go, what were you thinking? How many of you do that? How many get up and go, what was I? I mean, I should have. What, what was that? But I don't, I, I don't think... God going, yeah, I'm done with you too. No. No, 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 no. God doesn't go, yep, you crossed the line that time, Bubba. No, 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 no. I mean, do you, you do realize that God will join you when you're going the wrong direction. It is the most amazing thing. Those two boys were running from Jerusalem on the way to Emmaus. They were going the wrong direction. And he joined them on a journey to the wrong direction. It's crazy. God will join you when you're going the wrong direction. In fact, if he doesn't join you when you're going the wrong direction, you're never going to turn around. He comes and joins you in your stupidity and just starts letting you blab. How many of you know you've been blabbing to God about all that you know and don't know for the last two years, and he's just walking and listening to you? You're going to feel stupid in a minute. Hang on. 
I promise. He just joins you and he walks with you and he just and and you get ready to go in the park wherever it is you're going to park. And the Bible says, and, and, and as if he was going to continue, say as if. <laughs> I could preach about the as if. I could preach about the as if all afternoon. <laughs> as if. You do know he promised never to leave you nor forsake you, so this is a fake. He ain't going to keep walking as if he was going to continue. He wasn't going to not go where you were going. He was going to just see if you want. This is a test because he never going to keep going. If you're not going, he ain't going. He knows he's going the wrong direction. Why would he keep going that way? As if. As if he wasn't going in. Listen, God will join you in the wrong direction. And then he'll sit down at a table and he'll break bread in such a way. The way he broke the bread opened their eyes. The way he broke the bread. Do you understand that the way we live, the way we break the bread, the way we respond to other people, the way we treat other people, that will open their very eyes? I mean, we probably, I don't want to go sit with them, right? But, but the way, say the way matters. These people did not accept the name that the world gave them. And number two, they fed on the right food. They fed on the right food. Nebuchadnezzar offered them all kinds of things, but they refused to eat the food. They refused the names of the world, and they refused the stuff of the world. Can I tell you something? The world is designed to make you a consumer. The world wants you to buy every hook, line, and sinker. The world wants you to buy all their garbage. The world wants you to buy everything they put on TV. The world wants you to buy everything they put on iTunes. The world wants you to buy every lie that there is. The world will sell you a lie tomorrow to try to make you feel good about yourself. Listen, those boys knew not to eat that food. We need to keep bringing people back. Pastor, I don't understand why you keep doing communion. Because I keep trying to symbolize the reality that only he can feed you what you need to be fed. Only he has the words of eternal life. Only he has the stuff of eternity. And we keep coming back to this table, if nothing else, but to remind you, come to his table and not the table of this world. You hear me. They're trying to feed us a bunch of stuff in the airways of the world, but we need to listen to the airways of heaven and shut down a few other things. These boys knew how to live in the wilderness of their life because, number one, they were secure in their identity. Number two, they knew where to feed. They knew what to feed on. They knew how to hear me. If all you do is hear the word of God when I preach it, you're starving. You're starving. I do my very best to come here and give you the best I got. But can I tell you something? I go home and listen to somebody else. You're not listening to me. I, do you know how many podcasts I listen to? <laughs> listen, we got preachers going on when I'm in the shower. We got preachers going on when we're fixing supper. I got, I got preachers on here. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. But, you know, I can delete them. Some of, them, some of them I think, I ain't never preaching that. But I'm listening. Are you hearing me? Some of you are listening to stuff. This thing will play through my car radio. Bam, and it's right there. I don't have to listen to. You can be listening to. 
Did you know how much money I wasted on cassette tapes? And now, for $7.99 a month, I can get any music I want to get. You guys sing music we never heard. Whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? How, some of you need to learn a new song. I don't care what song. Just any song. Just learn a song. Sing to yourself. No, never mind. Number two, know what to feed on. Number three, these three boys understood that worship was not an event. Worship's not an event. They said, we're not bound down. We're not bound down to that thing. Yeah, but we're going to throw you in a fire. We ain't bound down because worship is not. Listen, most people think, well, I can just do that and move on. Just placate them by bowing to that. No, 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 no. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365 days a year. Worship is not what we do here from 1030 to 12 o'clock. Worship is the way you live in your home. Worship is the way you treat your spouse. Worship is how you honor your boss when you go to work. Worship is the way you pay your bills. Worship is the way you honor people when you're walking through the grocery store. Worship is the way you think about somebody that's wronged you. Worship is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week. It is a lifetime of listening to God and of reflecting who he is to the world around us. And those three boys knew I am not doing that because worship is the way I live. And can I tell you something? Those three boys revealed more than the sum total of who they were. Those three boys did not add up their lives and say, look at that. Those three boys, in the way they understood their identity and what they, what they ate and in the way they worshiped, revealed the Son of God. The way we live together can make Jesus known. Hear me, Pentecostals. I am from my shoelaces up, spirit-filled, believe in signs and wonders and miracles. But if you don't learn how to live a way of Jesus Christ, those signs and wonders and miracles are nothing more than an addiction to something that you need. You need to be living a way that reveals the Son of God in the midst of the fires of this moment. We can do that if we will pay attention to the Abrahams, to the Moseses, to the Hananias, the Mishaels, and the Azariahs. If we begin to realize that the way we live, the way we stand before the Jezebels, the way we stand before the Pilots, the way we present ourselves to the neighborhood in which we live, it matters. And I'm not talking about you abstaining from alcohol or cigarettes or I'm not talking about a morality I'm talking about a heart I'm talking about a relationship that trusts in the one that's on the inside I'm talking about that reality in our lives Jesus was led by the Spirit into his own wilderness. You remember this story? It's found in a couple, three places in the Gospels. And, and he had those temptations. You remember those? You remember it said, feed yourself. And he said, no. He, he said, throw yourself off here and prove that you really are. And he said, no. You, you remember? He said, if you worship me, you can rule the world. And he said, no. Do you know how many people want to use Jesus to feed themselves? You know how people want to use Jesus to do something miraculous and prove that they're... 
You know how many people want to force their rule on other people? Listen, if anybody had the power to feed himself, if anybody had the power to prove himself by jumping, anybody had the right to rule, it's Jesus. But Jesus said, I'm not using this for myself. I'm not going to do that. The way we live as Christians matter. We're not supposed to be using our relationship with God for ourselves. We're supposed to be living this life for other people. We're supposed to be living this not to feed ourselves, to prove ourselves, or to force our domination on the world. You hear me, Christians. I am so tired of other Christians trying to make other people believe the way they believe and whatever flavor they are. I want to tell you, Jesus refused to do that. He refused to do that. And at once he said no. Listen, what you say no to, temptations. Temptations have more to do with using the gospel for yourself than it does to do with the things that moral is trying to say. He refused. And when he came out of that refusal, I think he and the three Hebrew boys are a lot alike. They refused the same kind of things. Church, we need to be refusing those kinds of things, and we need to be accepting our role in a different way. Now, there was a great dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. That is still going on. That's still going on. I thank God I ain't like that. Well, we don't do that. Well, we do this. Well, we shouldn't do that. Well, this is brighter and better. And Jesus said, listen, it shouldn't be that way. For I have come among you as one who serves. Church, hear me. We can change the world if we just begin to serve the place we've been assigned. We can change the world as three Hebrew boys did by serving those who hold us captive. We can change the world, not by trying to lord over, rule over, or perform for. We can change this moment in history by learning how to serve the place we're stationed. Learning how to serve our spouses, our children, our neighbors, the people we worship with. Learning how to serve those that need laundry washed. Learning how to serve the poor. Learning how to serve Listen, it is our service that will get the attention. According to the way, I have lived my life. I have lived my life trying to serve others. That's what Paul was saying. I've lived my life not with myself in view. Listen, in the early church, they raised their children certain ways. In fact, they adopted and they took care of orphans when the world around them wouldn't. They honored the elderly and the way they treated them. Listen, they buried their dead. They stayed in Rome when the Romans were leaving to take care of the sick. The way we treat other people, that's what's going to change the world. The way we forgive one another, the way we encourage one another, the way we lift one another up, that is the way we've been called to live. I wished I could tell you that I was perfect while I was doing it. Not so much. 2019, this era, in a world that can't seem to be kind to anybody, this is a great moment. This is a great opportunity for us to begin to serve the world, the Nebuchadnezzars. This is a great opportunity. You need to hear me. Benjamin Franklin made a great statement. 
No one is useless in this world who lightens the load of other people. Well, but I'm just. You can lighten the load of somebody. You, 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 can, you can help somebody. No one in this world is useless if they learn to lighten the load of other people. I like what Gandhi said. The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. You really want to find out who you are? Go serve somebody else. And my friend, Zig Ziglar, he, I love this statement. He said, if you help enough other people in life get what they want, you'll get everything out of life you need. I really believe that. We, 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 we could understand that we are called to serve the place we're sent. That we're called to serve this generation. That we're called to Jesus picked up a bowl of water at the greatest challenge of his life. The night that he would be betrayed. The night that, that, that they would spit on him. The night that they'd pull his beard out. The night of his greatest confrontation. He didn't pick up a sword. Contrary to so many people that think he did. He did not. He picked up a towel. He picked up a bowl of water. Because the way to respond to those that are trying to take you is with a bowl of water. He picked up a bowl of water and he began to wash the feet of the people around him. And he said, what I have done to you, you need to do likewise. Do you know there's only twice in the Bible where a bowl of water is used? Once is when Pilate washed himself to excuse himself. And once is when Jesus picked up the bowl to wash our feet. Listen, my friends, the greatest weapon we have today is to wash the feet of other people people, to wash the feet of the people that probably will betray us, to wash the feet of the people that will deny they even knew us, to wash the feet of the people that will scatter when we're put under pressure, but to serve toward the greatest power within the hands of the American church today is the ability to serve each other. It'll change Hutchinson. It change America. The rhetoric that I hear in the airwaves today mean nothing. I mean less than nothing. But out of a little church, out of little churches all over America, you could take a bowl of soup to somebody this afternoon. <laughs> out of little churches all over America, there's 300, 373,000 churches that are under 75. Out of those little churches, not the mega churches, you listen to me. They're not going to change the world. They're going to get all the attention, but they're not going to change the world. But I promise you the Ruby Nielsens, pick up a bowl of soup and take it over to Mrs. Sidebottom. They'll change the world, Kent. They'll alter the world. You see, God can save by few. He can alter our community. Just a few of us washing laundry Tuesday nights once a month. He, listen, I'm not just. I am potentially, I am potentially the hands and the feet. Jesus said, if you see somebody that's hungry, if you see somebody that's naked, oh, I know, you want me to preach on signs, wonders, and miracles. I just want you to live like a servant. If you see someone that's naked, if you see someone that's hungry and you go feed them and you go clothe them, you did it to me. You did it to me. Can I tell you that bowl of soup that you take this afternoon 
Jesus takes personally. Takes it personally. When you help somebody else, Jesus takes it personally. I had somebody that day say to me, Pastor, I just don't feel God anymore. I go to church. I just don't feel God. I pray. And I just don't feel God. I just don't feel close to God. I just don't know whether the singing and the sermons, and I just don't feel God. What do you think I ought to do? <laughs> I said, well, that's easy. That's really easy. Go serve somebody. What do you mean, go serve somebody? I said, well, Jesus said if you go serve somebody, you're doing it unto him. You want to be close to Jesus? Serve somebody because in the serving of that other person, you're as close to Jesus as you're ever going to get in this world. Hmm. You want you, you, you know why you don't feel Jesus in singing? It's because you're self-absorbed. You know why you don't feel Jesus when you're reading the Bible? It's because you're self-absorbed. But if you go take care of someone else's interest more than your own, can I promise you, you'll feel Jesus. You're on the edge of a miracle. You're on the process. Pastor, I thought you were going to preach about above and beyond. I am. The power of the above and beyond is when you go beyond yourself and help someone else. And when you do that, you're on the verge of miracles. You know what a miracle it would be if everybody in this room reached out and touched somebody else this afternoon? Well, but I'm not the pastor. You are. Yeah, my job is to equip you to do that. There's pastors all over America tonight. They're like football players. They're exhausted. And there's 80,000 people sitting in the stands shouting them on. And they're exhausted. Or you're not listening to me. Because this isn't about what Quentin does. This is about what you do this afternoon. Now I'm going to watch Tom. Never mind. <laughs> oh, well. He said, what's the greatest commandment? Well, love God, but then love your neighbor. It's interesting. When Christ says that, he pulls the rug out of everything, right? He reframes everything in this idea that people serving other people, people loving the world around them, could change the world. Yeah, pastor, we've heard that for 2,000 years. Hmm. Maybe we ought to respond. story I really like. A little boy standing on a beach and he's flying a flag. Can't see, or flying a kite. Can't see the kites so high. You ever fly? Come on, anybody here from Kansas? Before there was, before there was digital games, we flew kites. You're not listening to me. There was a time that, yeah, okay. Little boy's flying a kite. You can't see the kite. And the old fellow walks up to the little boy and says, you like flying kites? And the little boy goes, I love flying kites. And the old man says, do you love flying a kite when you can't see it? And the little boy said, oh, I love flying kites when I can't see it better than when I can see it. And the old man said, why would you love flying a kite that you can't see? He said, because I can feel the tug. Abraham followed a God that he couldn't see, but he could feel the tug. Moses followed a God that he could not see, but he could feel the tug. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah believed in a God they could not see, but they could feel that tug. 
you listen to me. We're serving a God we cannot see, but we can feel the tug. Everything I've said this morning, you can feel the tug to serve. Because love in its purest form must be ventilated. Love in its purest form cannot stay silent. Love in its pure form has to find a way to reveal its kindness for the sake of Jonathan. Love in its purest form has to look for someone to show love to. If you have failed to show love to someone, to serve someone in the last three days, I'm telling you, you're close to losing a passion. The passion that I have is driven by the fact that there is a God that tugs on my heart every morning, holds me anchored to the reality that he'll never walk by me, and a desire to reach out and serve someone today, a a desire to reach out and value someone today. There are people in this room tonight, and you need to know that you matter, that you're not just a layperson, that you're not just a housewife, that you're not just a, but that God has chosen you and that through you, the love of God can be revealed to the world around us. And that in the midst of a world that's caught up in a rhetoric that means nothing, we can change the world by loving someone this afternoon. You don't have to wait on this. You don't have to plan this. You don't need a program from your pastor. All you got to do is hear the voice of God this moment and reach out and touch somebody. That's all it takes. I was asked some questions the other day about the two of you, and they wanted to know why. I said, well, I'm not sure I can explain it. Listen, you can't explain the tug in our hearts. Come on, can you feel that? telling you. Your lives can be so different in a year from now, you won't even know it. It can be so changed, all because you start getting up every day and valuing somebody else. All because you get up. There's five things I wrote this week. I couldn't do much this week. Every time I'd get up, it'd be like, oh my God. (laughs) And I'm praying, oh God, I'm a man of faith. Why can't I heal myself? But here's five little things I wrote down. You can start it this afternoon. Get up every day and value someone. Get up every day and value people. People are being devalued every time I turn around. Get up and value people, all people, everywhere. Just value people. Number two, are are, are you listening? Have you got it on the screen? Number two, think of ways to add value to people. This week while I was laying in bed, I started just writing down, there's a way I could add value to that person. How could I add value to that person? Think up ways to add value to other people. Number three, look for ways. Look for opportunities. Seriously, just just be observant. Look around. There's somebody you're going to walk out the building with today that you could do. Mm -mm. Number four, do things. Whatever it is you're doing, if it doesn't add value to somebody else, stop doing it. And number five, encourage other people to value other people. Do you understand that encouragement is the oxygen of the soul? And that there are people in this room who are dying for breath because no one's encouraged them in the last week? Find a way to encourage each other. Find a way to... Am I making any sense? 
I know this is simple. I know it's not Pentecostal enough. I know it's not shouting enough. I know you're waiting for more. But God keeps telling me to take it down to a very simple reality. Serve other people. Add value to other people. Do it intentionally. Go beyond anything you could think of. And when you do, we are setting the groundwork. Well, I keep saying, come back next week and I'll be more Pentecostal. <laughs> I, I told someone the other day, I said, you don't want to visit the Father's house once and make a decision. You want to come five or six times because undoubtedly it'll be different next week. I wonder what would happen if we'd raise up an army of servants. I wonder what would happen if, if, if we just begin to change our mindset in a world that's devaluing people we begin to add value to people. wonder what would happen. Hmm. I've certainly made up my life that that's what I'm going to focus on intentionally. I'm going to focus on it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to look for it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to encourage you to do it. Thank you for listening to this week's message from The Father's House. We hope you stay connected by following us online at fathershouse.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at TFH Hutch.